Father's Day is upon us once again. And with it, a new season of the Spotify original from ParCast, Devious Dads. Every Sunday, our limited series returns with a new batch of families whose patriarchs had a penchant for causing pain. This collection of episodes has been handpicked from shows across ParCast Network, bringing you the dads who are far worse than just bad. Here's an exclusive clip from the first episode of our new season. If you enjoy it, follow Devious Dads free on Spotify to hear the rest. Due to the graphic nature of these crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of suicidal ideation. We advise extreme caution for children under the age of 13. Even in today's society, fatherhood still comes with certain traditional expectations. Dads are often the sports coaches and handymen. In many cases, they're still the main breadwinners, too. They may not be seen as the nurturing parent, but as the provider, the strong role model, totally devoted to their children. Basically, we have high expectations for fathers, but as we'll see in the coming weeks, some of them fall well short of the mark. Hi, I'm Carter Roy, and this is Devious Dads, a Spotify original from ParCast. In this series, we're taking a closer look at several men who were uniquely ill-suited for the challenge of fatherhood and the mistakes they made along the way. The dads in these stories were often far more concerned about themselves than their children. We'll be exploring not only why that is, but what can happen when men without the necessary tools take on the role of a father. We're kicking off our series with an episode pulled from Crimes of Passion. It's the story of Jean-Claude Romand, whose entire identity was built on lies and deceit, and the horror that ensued when those lies were finally exposed. Jean-Claude Roman grew up in Clairvaux-les-Lacs, a small village in eastern France. Though his childhood was relatively normal, he later said that he was deeply unhappy as a boy. He was reluctant to tell his parents about his depression because he was afraid of disappointing them. He said, I'm sure they would have been willing to listen to me, but I wasn't able to speak. Jean-Claude's father worked in forestry and encouraged his son to follow in his footsteps. After Jean-Claude completed high school in 1971, he enrolled at the Institut National Agronomique at the age of 17, but he didn't stay there for long. Though he never specified exactly what happened, Jean-Claude claimed he was subjected to bullying and left school before the end of his first year there. He didn't explain to his parents what happened either. Instead, he told them he had to move back home because he was suffering from severe sinus infections. From his parents' house, he took correspondence courses while pretending to be too sick to go back to his classes. By the end of his first year home, Jean-Claude had enough of feigning sickness. He left his parents' house, but didn't go back to the agricultural school. He decided to pursue an education in medicine instead. Although Jean-Claude had never expressed any interest in becoming a doctor before, he suddenly seemed drawn to the prestige of a medical career. The change brought him closer to someone familiar, 
a distant cousin by marriage, who was also studying medicine at the university in Lyon. Her name was Florence Collet. Florence and Jean-Claude had known each other since they were young. Florence's parents adored him and asked 21-year-old Jean-Claude to look out for her while the two were at university together. Jean-Claude jumped at the chance to get closer to Florence. He even made a habit of escorting her to and from the train station when she traveled home on weekends. He had been in love with her since he was 14 years old. He believed they were meant to be together. Florence didn't reciprocate his feelings at first. She thought he was fairly dull and wasn't physically attracted to him. According to her roommates at the time, she found him more annoying than charming. But Jean-Claude managed to endear himself to one of Florence's closest friends, a handsome and popular student named Luc Ladmiral. The studious Jean-Claude got on Luc's good side by loaning him his class notes. Luc appreciated Jean-Claude's generosity and may have convinced Florence to give him a chance. In 1975, during their second year of school, Florence finally agreed to date Jean-Claude. It was the first romantic relationship of his life. For Jean-Claude, being with Florence was a dream come true. But not long after they started dating, she reconsidered their relationship. That same spring, she told Jean-Claude that she wanted some space. They both were prepping for their year-end exams, and she claimed she was too busy studying to focus on romance. Jean-Claude was distraught. Jean-Claude stared at the drawn curtains of his studio apartment. He couldn't remember the last time he had opened them. He hated to be reminded that life outside was still going on. The fact that people were still going about their days, oblivious to his pain, hurt him all the more. His seclusion made him feel strangely dissociated from the world and even from his own feelings. It was as if he wasn't a real person anymore. He had abdicated from humanity. Nothing he did mattered. There were so many things that once seemed important. His routines, his studies, his friendships. Without Florence, they were all immaterial. And so was he. At the end of the school year, 21-year-old Jean-Claude was scheduled to sit for his final exam. Up until then, he had done well in school. There was no reason to think he wouldn't move on to his third year. But on the day of the test, Jean-Claude never showed up. He couldn't explain the lapse, but was able to schedule a makeup exam for the following September. During the summer in between, Jean-Claude continued to brood over Florence. She had failed her final exam and had decided to switch her focus to pharmacology instead. Even though she had used her rigorous medical course load as an excuse to end things with Jean-Claude, she didn't change her mind about their relationship after the switch in majors. They remained separated but couldn't fully escape each other. They both saw the same groups of friends and so gossip followed them everywhere. Around this time, Jean-Claude behaved oddly. One summer night while he was out at a club, he told friends he was leaving to buy some cigarettes but disappeared for hours. When he finally rejoined the group, he was disheveled and his shirt was stained with blood. He told his friend Luke that he had been attacked by a group of men. He said they threatened him with a gun, 
forced him into the trunk of his own car and gone joyriding. Then they'd abruptly abandoned him and the car 30 miles outside the city. Jean-Claude's friends urged him to go to the police. He said he would, but never reported the incident. Years later, Jean-Claude would admit that the story was probably made up. He said, Of course I have no memory of an actual attack. I know it didn't happen, but I don't remember faking it either, tearing my shirt or scratching myself. If I think about it, I tell myself I must have done that, but I don't recall it, and I wound up believing that I'd really been attacked. Jean-Claude likely lied to gain attention and sympathy from his peers, but he didn't just tell lies to trick others. He was apparently trying to fool himself as well. Before I continue with Jean-Claude's psychology, please note that I am not a licensed psychiatrist or psychologist, but I have done a lot of research for the show. According to the article, Pathological Lying Revisited, from the Journal of the American Academy of Psychiatry and the Law, the most commonly quoted definition of a pathological lie is a falsification entirely disproportionate to any discernible end in view that may be extensive and very complicated, manifesting over a period of years or even a lifetime. These lies can very quickly snowball. The authors of this same article also state that the pathological liar may become a prisoner of his or her lies the desired personality of the pathological liar may overwhelm the actual one. For Jean-Claude, the lies were just beginning. In the fall of 1975, the students returned to school to begin a new semester. Jean-Claude was supposed to attend his makeup exam, but again, he missed it. He later gave more than one excuse for his absence. First, he claimed that he'd broken his wrist a few days prior to the exam, making it impossible to write out the answers. This explanation isn't very credible, since he still could have gotten permission to dictate his answers. But Jean-Claude has also given another reason. He said that on the morning of the exam, he received a letter from a woman who he had romantically rejected. She wrote that she intended to commit suicide and would already be dead by the time he read her note. Jean-Claude claimed that he was so shaken up by the letter that he couldn't leave the apartment. Nobody has been able to verify this account. Whatever happened, Jean-Claude missed his makeup exam in September of 1975, yet he lied to everyone, telling them he had taken the test. He told his parents that the test had gone well, when results were posted, he told everyone he'd passed. He informed his friends and family that he was moving on to his third year of school. It was surprisingly easy to fool everyone. Although the university wouldn't allow Jean-Claude to enroll as a third-year student, they did allow him to re-enroll as a second year. That way, he could stay on campus, use the library, and convince the world that he was continuing his studies. But Jean-Claude didn't go back to school right away. He was too afraid that his lies would be discovered. So for the first few months of the new semester, he stayed in his apartment, rarely leaving. When his friends didn't see him on campus, they became worried. 
Finally, shortly before Christmas of 1975, Luc Ladmiral paid him a visit to see if he was all right. Instead of confessing the truth, Jean-Claude told him that he had been diagnosed with cancer. With this gambit, Jean-Claude won the sympathy of his peers, including Florence. The couple soon reunited. Perhaps Florence thought Jean-Claude was brave to be battling cancer while maintaining his difficult course load. She had no idea that he was lying about both. After getting away with the cancer lie, Jean-Claude regained his confidence. He started attending third-year classes along with his peers and even resumed his habit of sharing notes. He pretended to study for exams, even though he never took them. He knew that if he did actually sit for his third-year exam, the university would discover his ploy. When his third year ended, he re-enrolled once again as a second-year student. There was no rule preventing him from registering as a second-year student as many times as he liked. Since his parents were funding his education, he continued to enroll again and again. By the end of their fourth year, Jean-Claude and Florence's relationship had gotten serious. Florence fell in love with him. She could look past his unremarkable looks and occasionally boring personality because he was sweet and dependable. After two years of dating, they got engaged. In 1980, they married and five years later, they had their first child, Caroline. Now a young husband and father, 26-year-old Jean-Claude's phony medical school career was coming to an end. He had re-registered as a second-year student 12 times in total to give the illusion that he finished the program, which typically took at least nine years to complete. The one time a school administrator became suspicious and called Jean-Claude in for a meeting, he never showed up. Apparently, nobody ever followed up with him to reschedule. In 1986, 32-year-old Jean-Claude pretended to graduate. Florence helped him study for the medical board exam, and despite not having an official medical school degree, he passed. As far as the world was concerned, Jean-Claude Ramon was a doctor. Now, he just had to figure out how to keep up appearances. Thanks for listening. To finish this episode and hear more, be sure to follow Devious Dads free and only on Spotify. You can catch new episodes of Season 2 every Sunday.